Today's sermon is entitled, The Sabbath, A Weapon Against Abuse. And this sermon may be one of the most important sermons that I've ever preached. For those of you that might be unaware, October is Domestic Violence Awareness Month, an observance that goes back to 1981 in this country. For many, home is a place of love, warmth, and comfort. It's somewhere that you know you will be surrounded by care and support, a little break from the busyness and the craziness of the real world. But for millions of others, home is anything but a sanctuary. The U.S. Department of Justice estimates that 1.3 million women and 835,000 men are victims of physical violence by a partner Every year, every nine seconds, a woman in the U.S. is beaten or assaulted by a current or ex-significant other. Your Seventh-day Adventist World Church is holding a virtual summit on abuse in the month of November. And we here at the Edmund Church will be discussing this Monday night at our board meeting. And my goal is for us to find a Sabbath afternoon in the month of November where we can show a few of the videos from this virtual summit and maybe even have some discussions. You all know that it's my goal to make the Edmund Church a safe place for anyone to come and to get to know Jesus. This must be not only a house of worship and prayer, but a house of safety and of mercy and of love. With that in mind, I'd like to spend some time this morning looking at a story focused on a specific woman found in Luke's gospel, chapter 13. For 18 years, this woman had suffered. Standing straight without any crookedness in her spine was a far-off memory. She was hunched over and had grown used to only staring at the floor, staring downward. Can you imagine if you never had the opportunity to look up and see the flight of birds, the shape of clouds, the stars and the moon, in the night sky. Instead, her view was literally grounded. She couldn't even see the faces of those that she loved in her life. For 18 years, this was her daily struggle. Constantly staring down at the dry desert of the Middle East and all the trash and the rubbish that was in the streets. There was no relief, no time out, no break. And I'm sure many people had even forgotten what her face looked like. They'd gotten used to just seeing her back and the top of her head. Rather than being seen as a person, most likely she was seen as a nuisance. Not as someone to know, but someone to pity. For 18 years, she'd gone to the synagogue each Sabbath. 
And it wasn't easy to go to the synagogue each week because even walking was a difficult task. And when she finally did arrive, there was no real welcome from the leaders. Getting there and being there for her was a challenge. But because of her great faith and love for God, she persevered each Sabbath. She'd go there with faith and hope in her heart each week until finally a special visitor was there one Sabbath. His name was Jesus. Now, before we read this account from chapter 13, I want to get into a little context. We'll be looking at, at verses uh, chapter 13, 10 through 17. If you want to go ahead and turn there and be waiting, you can. But there's some context we need to look at. In, in Luke's account, you know, we've, we've got different accounts of the gospel. We've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But in Luke's account, Jesus' entire ministry and his focus is revealed earlier on in, in chapter 4. And so I just want to read a, a few verses from that chapter. So he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. So Jesus returns to his hometown, Nazareth, after being baptized by his cousin, John the Baptist, in the Jordan River. And he's filled with the Holy Spirit, And the Bible makes it clear that Jesus had a a custom of attending the synagogue each weekly Sabbath. The Sabbath was important to Jesus. And then this event at Nazareth also reveals one of Jesus' most important values, the value of teaching. As you read about Jesus' ministry in the Gospel of Luke, it becomes apparent that Jesus had a desire for people to be informed, to be aware of the big issues in life. Jesus didn't want people to stay in the dark. He wanted to bring them into the light. He didn't want people to stay in ignorance. He wanted them to learn, to grow, to progress. Jesus was an enlightener. So we see Jesus constantly teaching people throughout the scriptures. But what did he teach? Jesus taught the scriptures. And this is the first record we see of Jesus teaching. And the first teachings out of his mouth in this event in Nazareth was from the scriptures, the Old Testament scriptures, specifically from the prophet Isaiah. Clearly, scripture was important to Jesus as it was the foundation of his teaching. Another thing that is abundantly clear is that he loves people. He loves people. And as we look at this scripture that he's reading of, which he's talking about himself there, it's good news, right? 
It's good news to the poor, healing for the brokenhearted, liberty to the captives and those who are oppressed, sight to the blind. He's there to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. All of Jesus' teaching there at Nazareth revolves around ministering to others, particularly to the impoverished, the hostages, the physically disabled, and the victims of oppression. And he wasn't just offering empty words or unrealistic hopes. Because the Spirit of the Lord was upon him, he had the power to act and rescue people from even the most dire circumstances. All that said, it's important to understand that in those days, the the New Testament time in which Jesus lived, women were overrepresented among the poor, the suffering, captives, and oppressed. It's difficult to exaggerate how low their position was and how great their misery. But Jesus was constantly uplifting women. Jesus ministering to the bent over woman in Luke 13 is just one of many examples. Think about the Samaritan woman at the well. The woman with the issue of blood. The woman caught in adultery. Mary Magdalene. The young girl that died and he raised her from the dead. And the list goes on. But for the sake of time, let's just zero in on this one instance. So if you'd like to follow along in your Bibles or on your devices or just on the screen, we're going to settle into Luke 13. Verse 10 starts off, Now he, Jesus, was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And behold, there was a woman who had a spirit of infirmity 18 years and was bent over and could in no way raise herself up. But when Jesus saw her, he called her to him and said to her, Woman, you are loosed from your infirmity. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight and glorified God. But the ruler of the synagogue answered with indignation, because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath. And he said to the crowd, There are six days on which men ought to work. Therefore, come and be healed on them and not on the Sabbath day. The Lord then answered him and said, Hypocrite, does not each one of you on the Sabbath loose his ox or donkey from the stall and lead it away to water it? So ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has bound, think of it, for 18 years be loose from this bond on the Sabbath. And when he said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame. And all the multitude rejoiced for all the glorious things that were done by him. So Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. But he makes a stop at this unnamed location on the Sabbath. And if you think that this stop was just random or happenstance, you haven't been paying attention to the gospel narrative. He's filled with the Holy Spirit, right? And if you remember the conversation that Jesus had with Nicodemus in John chapter 3, he talks about the Spirit. When people are filled with the Spirit, their actions might come off as random or strange. But just like the wind, 
You can't see it, but that doesn't mean there's a, not a guiding force behind it. Jesus stopped at this specific synagogue to teach and to heal. And by not naming this exact location, Luke broadens the application and the significance of this event. This isn't a story of hope for this specific woman only, but it's a story for all women who are in bondage in all places and throughout all times. This tremendous story offers hope to all victims. Luke, the tender physician that he was, he describes the severity of her condition. She was bent over, unable to straighten up, and she endured this for 18 long and miserable years. Can you imagine? Every year, Sarah and I drive to North Carolina to visit family for Thanksgiving. And it's a long car ride. It lasts over 12 hours. And every time we stop to get gas or to get food, I'm reminded that being able to stretch shouldn't be taken for granted. After being confined and restricted, it feels amazing to get out of the car, even if it's just for a few minutes. Being cramped up and stuck in a car isn't enjoyable for my bones. It isn't enjoyable for my muscles. (laughs) And if I'm singing, maybe it's not enjoyable for Sarah's ears either. (laughs) But this is a minor thing in comparison with what this woman struggled with, not for hours, but for years. I start to get hope near the end of the journey because I know that I will soon be out of the car. But for this woman... She had no sign of hope for the future. She lived day and night, not being able to stretch, not being able to straighten up, and it must have felt eternal. Bible students have speculated as to what specific disease or ailment this woman may have been stricken with. Dr. John Wilkinson published a paper in which he believed that this woman may have been suffering from spondylitis, Ankylopoietica. Others suggest that this woman described by Luke showed symptoms consistent with some women who have suffered from male sexual abuse or violence. This is entirely possible. But ultimately, Jesus laid all of the blame on Satan, as we read in verse 16. The point is that there is nothing Christ-like about sexual abuse of women. It is the work of Satan, and those who are involved in the dastardly act are doing his bidding. There's nothing good or redeeming about inflicting violence upon women. And I believe it goes without saying that No genuine Christian man would sexually force himself on a woman, not even his wife. No genuine Christian man would beat women or any woman, especially the one he promised to love as his wife. This type of despicable behavior is completely contrary to the teachings 
an example of Christ. No man that claims to have the spirit of Christ residing in his heart would do anything that would belittle, bully, or cause harm to a woman, whether that harm be physical, mental, emotional, or spiritual. And on that particular Sabbath, Jesus took the scriptures and taught wonderful, amazing things. And then, out of the crowd, this woman caught Jesus' eye. Now, she was likely shorter than anybody else in the crowd, right? She's hunched over. But Luke tells us that Jesus saw her, and Jesus called her forward. And I believe it's also of note that she responded to the call. Her body had failed her for 18 years, but her faith was alive and well in her heart. She struggled her way over to Jesus, and then he said the most beautiful words she'd ever heard, woman, you are freed from your disability. Then Luke tells us that Jesus touched her. And because we know Jesus and have seen his example throughout the Gospels, we can be sure that this was an appropriate and loving touch. And don't miss the next point in verse 13. Immediately, she was made straight. No waiting No bait and switch, no quid quo pro. Jesus touched her and ended her pain. This was her good news. She was liberated from her captivity. She was seeing the fruition of Jesus' promises from the scripture that he had read in Luke chapter 4. She was experiencing the Lord's favor. Isaiah's words were coming true for her. Her body became what it was originally intended to be. She can now look into the face of her Savior and experience joy, happiness, and freedom. Upon being miraculously healed, the first thing that she did was glorify God. She glorified God. Now, Luke wrote down a number of Sabbath miracles in his gospel. But this is the only one where the healed person stopped in that moment and praised God. The good news is encapsulated in this very story. Just as this woman had done nothing to deserve the 18 years of suffering, she had also done nothing to earn or to buy or to deserve her healing. She was healed only by the grace of Jesus. And it was for this reason that she glorified God. But the story doesn't end there. While she was healed from her physical pain, her psychological torment was not over yet. In the crowd that Sabbath was the ruler of the synagogue. This was his house. And he didn't seem to be okay with what was happening in his territory. Synagogue rulers were powerful men because they were often the ones who financed the synagogues. It gave them a quasi-ownership of the building. 
They also held high social positions in the community. They often had a say in who participated in the Sabbath synagogue service. A synagogue ruler also most likely offered interpretations of the Torah for the people. In this case, the ruler blurts out with indignation, there are six days where work ought to be done. Come on those days to be healed and not on the Sabbath day. Now, don't get me wrong. Not all synagogue rulers were were bad or negative. But this one was. This one was. His angry outburst was loaded with destructive language. Clearly, he was using the Sabbath as a weapon against Jesus and against this woman. He even quoted a portion of the fourth commandment to make his point. Now, this is a common technique that abusers use on others. They frequently take the words of Scripture and then twist them to their own selfish purposes and desires. Satan did this in the garden with Eve. He did it again in the wilderness with Jesus. This is nothing new for Satan and his ilk. The apostle Peter said this while describing the writings of Paul. As also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, and which are some things hard to understand, which untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction as they do also the rest of the scriptures. The Bible is not a tool to be used to justify the abuse of women. When the Bible is correctly read, we can see that it elevates women to their rightful God-given status. By attempting to correct Jesus, the synagogue ruler is attempting to come off as holier than Jesus. His retort implies that he would never trash the Sabbath by daring to heal on the Sabbath. His response were that there were six other days in the week for healing. And this implies that he knew this woman, or at least knew of her. It's difficult to imagine that if this was her first time in this particular synagogue, or if she was unknown to the synagogue ruler, that he would have said these words, because his words implied that this disabled woman was always around. She was always in the village. Everyone knows her. She isn't hard to find on any other day of the week. In other words, he was saying, heal her any time, but not on the Sabbath. So instead of rejoicing over this wonderful healing of Jesus and the freedom this woman now received, the synagogue ruler was arguing that she should not have been healed on the Sabbath. Could he even have been saying that Jesus should maybe return her to her previous condition, repent, and heal her on a different day? Was Jesus really breaking the Sabbath by healing this woman? No is the only answer. The only answer. Jesus didn't ever do anything to desecrate the holiness of the Sabbath day. He understands its significance when it comes to freedom relationship, 
healing, and rest. Ending the misery of a woman on Sabbath is not breaking the Sabbath, it's observing the Sabbath in its truest form. Ellen White offers some interesting commentary concerning Jesus and the Sabbath in Prophets and Kings, page 183. Christ, during his earthly ministry, emphasized the binding claims of the Sabbath. In all his teaching, he showed reverence for the institution he himself had given. In his days, the Sabbath had become so perverted that its observance reflected the character of selfish and arbitrary men rather than the character of God. Christ set aside the false teaching by which those who claimed to know God had misrepresented him. Although followed with merciless hostility by the rabbis, he did not even appear to conform to their requirements, but went straight forward, keeping the Sabbath according to the law of God. Jesus is the creator of the Sabbath, and he knows how to observe his holy day. The synagogue ruler failed to recognize Jesus's true identity, his divine identity. And when Luke records Jesus's response to the ruler, he helps us, his readers, recall Jesus's true identity. Notice as we read in Luke 13, 15, where it says, then the Lord answered him. Did you catch that? The Lord. This title reminds us of Jesus's own words in Luke 6, 5. The Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. And as the Lord of the Sabbath, Jesus answers this critical, demeaning, abusive synagogue ruler and his silent supporters with hypocrite. Does not each one of you on the Sabbath loose his ox or donkey from the stall and lead it away to water it? So ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, who Satan has bound for 18 years, be loosed on the Sabbath? Jesus put this woman abuser in his rightful place. He, along with his adherents, were referred to correctly as hypocrites. They were hypocrites because they showed more compassion to animals than to people. They showed compassion even for an unclean animal like a donkey, yet reserved none for this daughter of Abraham, this woman made in God's own image. The synagogue ruler and his allies wouldn't allow a beast to suffer for a few hours on the Sabbath without releasing it to drink its fill. But they were outraged that a woman's 18 years of suffering wasn't allowed to go one more day longer. Yes, it is true that this woman was not in any danger of dying in this moment. Jesus wasn't saving her from impending death by healing her on that Sabbath, but the Sabbath is not just about saving life. It's about enhancing life. I've also got to say that liberating women who are victims of abuse and violence should not be limited to the Sabbath day either. 
No woman should experience abuse, whether it's sexual, emotional, spiritual, or financial, on any day of the week. Any day of the week, including the Sabbath, is a good day for abuse to be ended or to be prevented. While this woman's physical suffering was ended by the physical healing of Jesus, the synagogue ruler was extending her spiritual and emotional suffering with his heartless attitude and harsh words. And it's for this reason that some of the strongest and most direct words from the mouth of Jesus were directed at this man who was in a privileged position. This synagogue ruler had the option of rejoicing with this woman and with the miracle, but he opted instead to try and extend her victimization. Not only did Jesus come to the support of this abused woman, but he aligned himself with her. He stood beside her. By designating her as a daughter of Abraham, Jesus also put Abraham on her side and on his side. The synagogue ruler, by his opposition to this healing, was inferring that he would rather see this woman remain bound, bound by Satan. So the synagogue ruler found himself in the dangerous position of being on the side of Satan in opposition to Jesus and the daughter of Abraham and Abraham himself. Some may try to dismiss the end it now initiative. They may resort to many reasons and excuses, just like the synagogue ruler. They may state that the Seventh-day Adventist church has been tasked with presenting the truth and that we must not be distracted by these social issues implying that we are watering down our message with some supposed social gospel. Notice these important words from Ellen White, one of the founders of this church. True sympathy between man and his fellow man is to be the sign distinguishing those who love and fear God from those who are unmindful of his law. How great the sympathy that Christ expressed in coming to this world to give his life a sacrifice for a dying world. His religion led to the doing of genuine medical missionary work. She went on to quote the Bible verse that says, I will have mercy and not sacrifice. And she concludes with, this is the test that the great author of truth used to distinguish between true and false religion. We cannot ignore women who are victims of abuse in its various forms. We have an ongoing duty to protect and shield any woman that is in one of these vile conditions. I'm proud that the Seventh-day Adventist Church has a department of women's ministries that is represented at every level of our world church's organization. I'm proud that the Seventh-day Adventist Church is pushing this initiative of end it now. I'm proud that the Seventh-day Adventist Church has ADRA, the Adventist Development and Relief Agency, which operates special safe sanctuaries for women and girls who have been abused, trafficked, and sold into these satanic conditions. In every place, 
and in every congregation. We must end it now. How did this visit by Jesus to the synagogue end? The woman received multiple healings. Physical, emotional, spiritual, and perhaps even sexual. The enduring image is that of a healed woman standing upright, straight, and praising God. This daughter of Abraham, who had previously been bent over, became the model of all people, of all ages, showing that Jesus can do this kind of stuff. He can take someone that is bent over or bent out of shape by the workings of Satan and his supporters. Would you like Jesus to heal you? To reshape your life and your future? Perhaps there are some men here or online who are thinking about the way they have treated women or one woman in particular. Perhaps their attitudes toward women are not what they should be, not what God would want for them to be. Maybe some men listening to my words are realizing that they've been unchristlike in their treatment of women or a particular woman. Instead of showing Christian love, perhaps these men now see that they've been cruel and unkind. Now is the time for these men to ask Jesus for a new heart so that they will learn how to treat women in the way that Jesus treated women. With kindness, compassion, and respect. It's time for good men to stand up and end it now. Perhaps there are women here or online who identify with this bent-over woman because they, too, are suffering. Just as Jesus healed her, Jesus can touch you with his pure love, reshaping your life and your future. Jesus' words speak to you today just as they spoke to the bent-over woman 2,000 years ago. Listen as we reflect upon Jesus' words in Luke 13, 12, from five separate versions. Woman, you are freed from your disability. Woman, you are loosed from your infirmity. Woman, you are set free from your ailments. Woman, you are healed of your sickness. Woman, you're free. That Sabbath, in that village, in that synagogue, Jesus ended that woman's suffering. Jesus ended how that woman had been treated for 18 years. He ended it. Today, on this Sabbath, wherever you are, Whatever circumstances you are in, Jesus wants to end it here, too. Jesus didn't create daughters of Abraham, sisters in Christ, or mothers of Israel 
to be abused. It's time to end it now. Amen and amen.